to give the sermon this morning is a, <clears throat> is a phrase that I gleaned from Ray Vanderlaan and watching um, some of the, the videos that he has produced on Bible study and his extensive travels and, and experience in living in and traveling in, in Israel and studying the, the culture there, um, something I really appreciate. I enjoy studying myself and have been blessed to have been able to go to Israel twice and and experience some of these some of these things for myself. The title is Sling Your Stone. So the question is why did why was Jesus sending his disciples forth as sheep in the midst of wolves? And then he follows it up with be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He goes on and says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before. Now, you notice I'm emphasizing the future tense. It's not an if or maybe. These things will happen. So my question to you and I is, why are we surprised when things similar to this happen to us? Why does that come as a surprise when Jesus says these things will happen to his disciples. Now my question for us today is what can we do to prepare for that? I'm a school teacher and sometimes my school teaching comes across the pulpit as well and I'm not going to apologize for that but just recently I was uh, was talking with a young man and we and he was we were talking a little bit about some of the things he wants to do in, in the future. And I simply asked him this. I said, if two years from now you knew that you were going to walk into a local trust factory and say, I'm applying for a job as an architect here at a local trust factory. You knew that two years from now you were going to do that. What would you do now to prepare you for that? Because you know you can't just walk into a trust factory and say, I'm here to apply for a job as an architect. Because the first thing they're going to ask you what experience do you have? What qualifications do you bring? How have you prepared yourself to knock on our door and say, I'm going to apply for this job as an architect? Some of the obvious things are I'm going to, I'm going to get some schooling. I'm going to study about it. I'm going to read about it. I'm going to start noticing buildings as I, as I drive by and notice their, their roof lines. Notice what looks appealing. I'm going to take an interest in that because I'm preparing myself for that. By the way, that word preparation and prepare is going to show up quite a bit this morning. And as an example of that, I'd like to take our minds to a story. Now, as soon as I use the word story, my, I, I want to clarify that. Since this story comes from the word of God, we believe that it actually happened. It's one of those stories that as we get into it and as we de describe it and, and put ourselves in that situation, we get a sense of, of the amazement of the happenings in this story and the details of it. It takes place in 1 Samuel 17, a favorite children's story because it's a classic story of, of good and evil and how good triumphs even in the face of some amazing obstacles. And it's the story of David and his, con his conquest of Goliath. 
We find David here as a young man, and I'm not going to get into the, the chronology of, of this and some of the other things that are happening in, in David's life about this time, but we have the, the Philistines on the scene again. Philistines, people that were constantly uh, nagging at the, at the children of Israel. They're, it seems like they were always there, always creating problems, and, and the children of Israel always having to to conquer them and, and always fighting with them. And here we have a classic story happening in the, in the southern part of, of the land of Canaan. And we have the Philistines on one mountain on one side, the children of Israel on a mountain on the other side of the valley of Elah in between. Now, it says they set the battle in array, meaning that both sides are prepared to fight, hand-to-hand -hand combat. They're at, a, they're at a place where the Philistine army cannot advance anymore to, into the north, into the land of Canaan without dealing with the army of, of the, the children of Israel. And so they choose a unique method, not totally, not totally unique, but not one that's used very often in scripture or in history, where they have a champion. They have a giant. They have an ace up their sleeve, if you will. They have a, <clears throat> a man who is proven to be a great warrior. He obviously has an advantage, and that's his sheer size, over nine feet tall. And as we, as we read down through there and get a, a sense of, of what it would have been like to simply to look at him, let alone if he's looking at you and coming your way. I think that's when they coined that phrase about your knees shaking. When you have a man of this stature, armed in this way with a helmet of brass, a coat of mail, that, that chain that it, I think it was designed to where it, it, it jingled as he, as he moved to remind you that this man is a man to be reckoned with. Not only that, he actually had an armor bearer, another man in front of him with, with another shield that was also giving him protection. And as he came out there and he started calling to the children of Israel. And it says, for 40 days, he is putting up this challenge. Send a man out to fight me. Rather than both armies fighting each other, we'll do one man from the Philistines, one man from the children of Israel, and we'll take care of this, we'll take care of this battle. It's a winner take all. <clears throat> well, David comes on the scene. David's a shepherd boy. And he's been faithfully tending his father's flocks. But we discover that he's not been out there just doing nothing. There are two things that we note that, that David has been occupying his time with. Number one, he's been playing the harp. And in fact, he's, he has a local reputation of, of being a really good harp player. Now, if you... And I don't know how many strings his harp had on it, but 
it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of repetition. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of time preparing in knowing how to play that harp well. Now, if you know anything about taking care of sheep, you're thinking, well, he obviously had a lot of time. And he probably did. But the key is that he was not just whittling his time away. Maybe he did do some whittling. I don't know. We're not told about that. But he's using his time productively, not only in learning how to play the harp, but also in perfecting his proficiency with a sling. Now, not a typical slingshot, probably, as we think of it, with a forked stick and a rubber band and where you pull it back and let it fly. But probably one where you have two strings um, and one string coming, coming up with a loop on it that you put around either your first or second finger, and then the other string being loose that you're going to grasp probably between your thumb and your first finger. So the, the string goes down, it has a pouch down at the bottom, and where that can receive that, that stone. So the two strings are held, and as you start to, to swing it, one, two, three, on your third or fourth swing, once you have felt the, and your, and your trained muscles in your arm have felt, the, felt that stone swinging around, and at the right time, you release that, that string, which opens the pouch and sends that stone to its mark. It takes a lot of practice. Never tried it. I've seen it done um, on the streets of, <clears throat> of, I believe it was Nazareth. There's a, uh, a street vendor who was selling slings like that. I wish I would have bought one. But he demonstrated it, and he sent a rock flying up the street. There were a few tourists around and, <clears throat> and demonstrated it for us there. David has become proficient in that. Well, time moves on, and the 40 days have, have come and gone, and David's father sends him to the, <clears throat> to the battlefield and says, David, could you please go and check on your brothers? In fact, here, take some food along with you. And so he sends him, sends him there. And David, of course, is delighted to go because his three oldest brothers are fighting, and he hasn't seen them for a while. Besides, he's a young lad. He's interested in these things. He wants to know what's going on. And so he goes, and he's startled by what he finds. As, he's, as he comes into camp, he's expecting his brothers to be you know, overjoyed to see their youngest brother. Uh, let's see, should we develop that thought? I think we're going to pass over on that thought. But instead, they start ridiculing him and saying, what's up? So you're supposed to be home helping the flocks. Ah, you just want to get in on the action. You just want to get out of work at home. And, but anyway, he's there. Probably not the only young fellow that, that's bringing and that's visiting. Um, you can imagine that some word of what's going on is spread throughout the, the land of Israel and people are, are waiting on news and, they're, and they're, they realize that their lives are at stake, their, their livelihoods are at stake, their, their society, their economy is at stake. They're, they're definitely interested in what's happening here with the Philistines. David is present when Goliath makes his appearance. Now David's reaction is quite different than most of the other men. Because David has tuned his ears to hear maybe a little deeper than just surface words. 
Because when Goliath starts taunting the Israelites, and he says, you're soldiers of Saul. Well, who's Saul? Saul is their king, but he's the king of the people of God. So when, so when Goliath is taunting the, the army of Saul, he's taunting God. And that inspires something within the heart of David. And he says, how can you stand here and let him speak and defy the armies of the living God? This has got to stop. And he starts making some noise there in camp. And his brothers try to calm him down, but he's, he keeps on going. And in fact, Saul, the king, hears of it. And David is brought before Saul. And David says, please, let me get my hands on it. Let me go. He, he's defying the armies of the living God. I can't, I can't just sit back and let that happen. I've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about this. And somehow David's passion inspires Saul to let him go ahead with it. Now, thinking about that realistically, that was kind of foolish for Saul to do that. He's, he's not a warrior. He doesn't look like a warrior. But something about his passion inspires Paul, sorry, inspires Saul as the king to let him go into a situation like that. But then Saul says, well, I'll let you go, but let's get a few things straight. First of all, you need some armor. And so he tries to fit him out with Saul's armor. Now, there's one thing that we know about Saul. What do we know about Saul's, how big Saul was? Does anybody know? He's a head taller than anyone else, including David. So obviously his armor doesn't fit. And, and Saul says, or David says, I'm sorry, this armor, it's, it's actually hindering me. I, I haven't proved them. I, I haven't used them. I'm going to have to go without the armor. And Saul lets him do it. David goes out to the brook, and he finds five smooth stones. And he puts them in his pouch. As actually just this morning, as I was thinking about, I was actually sitting up here, as I was thinking about this story, a question occurred to me that I'd never thought of before. Why did David bring his sling along to visit the army? Why did David have his sling with him at this point in time? He came to visit the army. He was, that, that's where the men were. They had, they had swords. They had shields. They had spears. And he's got a sling hanging out of his back pocket. Why did he bring his sling? I don't have the answer. Except for the fact that God had allowed him to bring it, that God inspired him to bring it, and that's something that he was prepared to use. Maybe he thought he might run into some wild animals as he was traveling down there. But it was something he was prepared to use. And now as he's facing Goliath, he's prepared to use what, what God, what he has spent his time developing in his life. 
We know the end of the story. As the two meet, there are more taunts between the two. And at the end, David takes his sling, his trusty sling, and that smooth stone, and he sends it sailing right into the forehead of Goliath, where it says it sank into his forehead. Goliath falls to the ground. As you can imagine, the, the Philistines, when they see the two approaching, they see who Goliath is, they see who David is, and they think, this is going to be a lot easier than we ever thought. And they're, they're getting ready to, as soon as they see David fall, they're getting ready to advance and crush the rest of the, of the army. And, and they're thinking, wow, we have just won a major victory today. And you, so you can imagine their surprise and confusion as they're a little ways off. Maybe they can see David swinging his arms around wildly. Maybe they, they can't see the actual sling and all of a sudden, Goliath is kneeling. No, he's not kneeling before David. He's fallen down. And David decapitates him. The, the emotions that are the emotionally charged moment there is hard to grasp. As the children of Israel are, are stunned, thrilled, and you can imagine the adrenaline that is running through their camp right then. As they realize what is happening, they sweep across the valley and chase the Philistines out of their territory. Because David had been prepared for a situation like that, do you think he ever thought, as he's sitting, as he's in the, taking care of the sheep, and he's consistently setting a stone on top of another stone about, Maybe he starts at 10 yards, and then it's 30 yards, and then one day he's feeling extra brave, and he sets a stone up at 60 yards out, and, he, he, and with his sling, he knocks it off that, that rock there. Preparing for what? Did he know that he was going to meet a giant someday? I don't think he had any idea. But yet he was using the time and using the talents that God had given him to continue to develop what God had placed in his heart. At the right time and in the right place, David used what God had been preparing him for to take out an enemy that was standing in the way of victory. See, wherever we're at in life, I believe that either an enemy or an opportunity is heading our way. Are we allowing God to prepare us for those unknowns? See, as a school teacher, there's one phrase that will stop me in any class that I'm teaching. And that's a phrase, I will never use this in life. What's the use of learning algebra? What's the use of learning all this history? I'll never use this in life. Sometimes I accuse my students of, of figuring out where my buttons are and then pushing them so that they get more discussion time in class rather than as much lecture. But this is one that will get me every time. Because as I think back in my life, see, when I was 19, our family went to, was called to go to Romania. And as a young man interested in, in things of that nature and wanting to get into the work there, it, we arrived in July in the middle of wheat harvest. 
and, and there were so many things to do there, new, new things, so many things to learn. And you know what they allowed me to do for the first eight weeks that I was there? It wasn't drive the combine. It wasn't drive the tractor. It wasn't um, learn how to milk the cows. I got to sit in language class from 8 o'clock to 11.30 every morning. That wasn't necessarily on my agenda. I would have a lot rather been out in the fields and, and helping Alan and Dwayne, Steve, work the... I had to sit in language class for eight weeks. Three and a half hours every morning. Little did I know at that point that God was preparing me because at, at that point we, we were planning on, on spending two years in Romania. So eight weeks out of two years, you do the math, you come up with a, a fairly low percentage of time, but yet significant percentage of time that I was wasting by, by studying language. Little did I know that God was preparing me for spending not two, but almost nine years living in Romania. A short three years later, I'd be standing at, the, at a young lady's apartment, knocking on her door, getting ready to ask her to begin a relationship and using the Romanian language. Now, if that's not an inspiration for learning a language, there's nothing that is. But God was preparing me for, I had no idea. As I was sitting in language class, struggling through verbs, trying to figure out why in the world they put their sentence structure the way they did, that God was preparing me for that. For each one of us here, God is preparing us for something. And since we find ourselves at the end of November in 2020, I believe that we were compelled to, to come to that realization that we really don't know what God has in the future for us. I can tell you within about six inches of where I was standing on March 15th, of 2020 when it was actually at a school function in the evening and someone said, have you heard that Illinois is closing schools as of next Tuesday? What do you do with that? How do you prepare for that? So this was a Friday evening. So thankfully they gave us one day, a Monday, to go back to school and, and prepare for being off of school for two weeks, which ended up being seven weeks for us. How do you prepare for something like that? Being off of church for so many weeks. So, and so we've, we've all had this, our world's shaken, literally, by all the things that have been taking place this year. And the thing that we are, we are compelled to learn from that is to use the time and, and the resources given to us today in preparing for tomorrow. We are given numerous illustrations in scripture of people that were, that God was preparing for a work 
that they had no idea of. Why did God choose Moses to, to lead the children of Israel? He, he didn't just pick him out one day and say, you're going to lead the children of Israel. In fact, I believe God has been preparing him for the, his entire life, all 80 years of his life, to lead the children of Israel. In fact, God used some amazing circumstances to allow Moses to, to interact with the Pharaoh and the workings of his court to figure out how, how Pharaoh was working with people and with leaders. And then God said, well, let's see. Well, I'm going to have the, or they, they're going to be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And if a man's going to be leading a group of people that size in the wilderness, he has to have some wilderness skills. So I'm going to let him herd sheep in the wilderness for 40 years as a, so that he knows the ways of the wilderness, so that he's prepared to lead these people. Now, back to our story of David. David had his sling with him. And God provided the stones. Moses had the, the knowledge of the workings of people and of leaders and the ways of the wilderness. But God provided the individual um, ways of wisdom and direction for each specific circumstance. Jesus is saying in Mark six in Matthew chapter ten verses sixteen here, he said, "I'm going to send you forth as wolves or as as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves." Verse eighteen and nineteen. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Your part and God's part. Why did God send Jonah to the people of Nineveh? Somebody had to go, right? Why didn't he choose the man that was out plowing his fields? Why didn't he choose the man who was uh, being the shepherd or the man who was sitting in his doorway uh, making clay pots? I don't know the exact answer. But I knew, do know that Jonah was one who was used to preaching. I do know that Jonah had the, had the knowledge of the scriptures so that he could share about God and about God's, uh, about the need to repent before God. Why did God choose Paul? to spread the gospel to Asia Minor at that time. Saul, his first name, was a man of passion. A man who, if, if he felt something was driving him, he, he went with his whole heart and mind. He was a man of passion. And God says, I need a man of passion to spread the gospel. I need a man who's not going to give up whenever he's shipwrecked one, two, three, four times. A man who's not going to give up whenever he's, he's whipped and kicked out of town. I need a man who, who, can, who can see the big picture and who's in it for the long haul and who's going to be faithful to the end. I need a man like Saul. So he got his attention with that blinding light, turned him around 180 degrees and said, Paul, I need you to work for me. 
as we are in here in 2020, I see a lot of variety here in the audience today. I know some of you, not all of you. I know there are a lot of different giftings here, a lot of different passions. And the thing that we, each one of us is required of God to do is develop what God has given us so that we can be prepared for whatever God calls us to do. Whether it's simply sharing with the neighbor at the right time. Whether it's being called to preach. Whether it's being called into mission work. Whether it's called to, to get married and raise a family. How can I be prepared for that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, familiar chapter. Here's some of the tools that God has given us. Because remember, David had tools that he had developed. And as we think about how we can be prepared uh, for young people, one of the first things I think of is spending time in Bible school, going and, and learning all you can. How long, how long will, be able, will we be able to have Christian Bible schools, our own Bible schools? How long will we be able to have our own Christian day schools that we can freely send our children to? We don't know. I'm not here to, to cast a lot of fear. What I am here to, to, th to help us think about is how can I pre be preparing now so that if, in maybe 2025 will make 2020 look like a piece of cake? I don't know. But we have to, we have to realize that, yes, God is still in control, but we also realize that as... And, I'm encouraged by your study in the book of Revelations for Sunday school. You're going to get into some, into some things there that sound and look pretty scary. The thing about Revelations is that it will come to pass. It will happen someday. Whether that's in our lifetime, our grandchildren's lifetime, we don't know. But it will happen someday. So we as God's people are compelled to be prepared for that. To be rooted and grounded in truth in the love of God, and as in, verse, as in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, as these words instruct us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I enjoy looking at words. And, and, and grasping, trying to grasp what, they're, what the context is, what they're trying to say against the wiles of the devil. If, you're going to, if he's telling him to stand against the wiles of the devil, that means that the devil is going to be attacking. He's going to be trying to go against the children of God. And that lines up with numerous other passages where we, have, where we understand that the, 
The devil is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's not a pretty picture. So let us not be surprised whenever things in our, <clears throat> in our culture, in our society, feel like we're being attacked. That's reality. And so we, as God's people, need to be prepared and being and knowing how to stand on truth. Verse 12 gives us a, a big picture of this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore. It's a, he's expecting this. Paul says, look, this is how you do it, and I'm expecting you to do it. Go ahead and stand, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. As in the verses in, in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but that's not the end of the story. I will be with you. I'm going to give you the words to speak. Will it be easy and comfortable? No. They're going to, it says they're going to scourge you in front of the synagogues. But I will give you the words to speak. I will be there with you. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here's the recipe of how we can be prepared for what God has for us in the future. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. There we have a picture of Paul and his, his perspective of how he sees his life and how God has allowed him and given him that strength to keep the faith. So in, in looking at all this, Let's not get the, the idea that's, that Satan is going to prevail, that as you get into Revelation and all of the things that are, that are going to happen there on this earth. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Jesus is giving us the, the tools. Here we have the armor to stand. No matter what comes. In the first devotional this morning, the word to keep was mentioned. To keep the word of God. 
looking at these verses in Ephesians chapter 6, where we're talking about the Christian's armor. I see those as the tools that we are given so that we can keep the words of God, keep them alive in our hearts, that we can be used by God no matter what he calls us to. Will there be some difficult times? I believe there will be. Times when we're, we're called to, to really analyze where we're at in our Christian life. What are, what are our core values? What are we willing to die for? And I believe that 2020 has just been a, a small taste of that. And I believe we do well to look back into history, the history of the church, the history of the Mennonite church. And as we as church leaders have been discussing uh, throughout this, this year of 2020, how can we as leaders be prepared for what might be coming for us? How, how can we learn through this, through this uh, <clears throat> you know, what God has allowed us to, to live through here in 2020 and in America and in the entire world, really? How can we learn from that and further prepare, further strengthen our armor for what might be coming in the future? May God give you grace, give us grace to discern, to find words of truth. And as the verses from our Sunday school this morning, as it describes Jesus standing there and, and out of his mouth protruded, protruded a two-edged sword, which is the word of God, which rightly divides the word of truth. May truth life, a dynamic part of our life, as we prepare to serve him wherever he has called us to. Bless each one. Let's kneel for prayer.